Greetings. Hello and welcome. The archival recording you are about to hear was sourced from live streaming audio in an effort to expand content reach. I have decided to repurpose the show as an audio podcast. I have done my best to remaster the audio quality for your ears, but I have chosen to leave its content and length unedited, so you may hear reference to visual cues not described in said audio. If you would like to see the original live streaming video podcast this recording comes from, please head over to youtube.com slash C slash Frumus Films LLC or just search Frumus F-R-U-M-E-S-S. And don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. Audio from episode to episode will also vary in quality. Sorry about that. Thank you for tuning in and listening. Jeff from us. Hello and welcome to the Streaming Evil Live show. My name is Jeffrey Murdergram and I am your host for this evening. Welcome everyone to the Streaming Evil Live show. I'm now recording on my device over here because this is also going to be a podcast because we're now on Spotify and all other podcast listening outlets. So, you know, if you like to not watch this show on YouTube and prefer to listen to it while you're at work you can do that enough about that in any case how is everyone doing tonight uh we are here you know we're i'm just i feel like a ginormous bottom feeder is what i am oh you know what i do it's like it's like (laughs) danzig walks around he like drops little crumbs little morsels jerry drops little crumbs little morsels you know, these guys walk around, they take, they drop loads, take dumps, you know what I mean? And I feel like a little bottom feeder crab, like, oh, <laughs> oh look at this little nugget. For... <laughs> oh, a new interview. Oh, yes, I have a new interview to watch. Oh, content. Yes, that's lovely. Woo-hoo-hoo-hoo. Um. I wasn't going to do a show. I'm actually, ah, oh man, this is such a busy week for me. But, like, I had to do a show when I saw that there was a brand new Danzig interview. There's a brand new Danzig interview for Rolling Stone. And, yeah, wow, super clickbaity, right? Uh, that is, like, an effort. You know, I just want to make the channel is from us. That's what it is. It's this, we still do the Streaming Evil Live show. We still call it the Streaming Evil Live show. But at the end of the day, it's just the Frumish channel. So I'm just putting the topic there. I don't have to go through the whole mishigas of the thing with the thing and the bing. And speaking of which, we really need to do our intro here because that's how we start the show. I'm trying not to lollygag the way I normally do. But, you know, at, at the end of the day, it still happens. But first... Make it Welcome, everybody, to the Streaming Evil Live show. I know I said that a hundred times. So anyway, I feel like a giant, I feel like a bottom feeder, like a little crab under the sea, under the sea. And every time we get a little morsel, we make a meal out of it and... That's what we're doing today. So that's why we have a show. Um, Hello, everybody. I see all of your hellos. I'm trying not to 
get distracted. Hello, Eric, Ballad of the Broken, Rue, Dr. Airlift, Robbie Bloodshed, Dr. Airlift again. Welcome, everybody. Chris, I see Chris up there. Pauly, Paul Seacrest, what's up? Hello, Dan. Hello, allegedly, yada, yada, yada. Um, what's up, everybody? So uh, also, you may have noticed or may not have noticed, we have um, we, we have a music reaction for Sam Haynes' Unholy Passion. Check that out. I'm doing another one. I'm going to do Final Descent is next. Final Descent is coming next. Uh, since people really seem to appreciate the Unholy Passion music reaction listening session, I'm also trying to gauge whether people like a 20-minute show or a 60-minute show or a two or three hour show trying to like figure out some some stuff with that you know do do a little market research i suppose maybe that's maybe that's the right way to to put it um but in any case so we have a brand new interview from glenn danzig with rolling stone and it seems to be uh an all-encompassing interview it's not just your normal you know uh interview to pump an album it seems like a like a career spanning sort of situation. Now, you know, I don't like, I don't like to, you know, um, oh my God, I just had a massive, massive brain fart just now. Why did that happen to me? Um, <laughs> wow, this sucks. I'm just sucking to, I wasn't planning on doing a show today. All right. I wasn't planning on doing a show. You got to give me a break. You got to give me a break. My God, already six minutes into the thing and I haven't even said a word. In any case, Glenn has done an interview. Oh, like I love reading. That's what I wanted to say. And I had hit a pothole, guys. Um, I love reading these things blind. I love reading these things blind. I don't like to read the interview before we go live. I want to react in real time to whatever is being said in the interview. I don't want to just reread something and feign surprise. I want every reaction to be, you know, uh, genuine. So I have no idea. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Senior moment, exactly. Sometimes I think I have uh, uh, Alzheimer's or something. I don't know, dementia, geez. Um, so we're going to read through this, and I don't know what's being said. I'm just going to read it live and blind. That's how we go. That's how we roll. So tonight's uh, tonight's podcast is sponsored by these little polar half-pint seltzers. They make... This one's called Mermaid Songs. That's right. I'm drinking a seltzer that's called Mermaid Songs. And I also have this one in in here. This is um this is also made by Polar. This is Unicorn Kisses. That's right. That's the type of that's the type of drink that I have. It's impossibly good. I like Unicorn Kisses seltzer. So check that out. Um so in any case, we're we're gonna do we're gonna talk about Glenn's interview. We're gonna read it. I'm gonna read it, and I'm gonna try to. We'll, we'll, we'll go to the comments after. So keep talking amongst yourselves. I love having you guys here, and thank you so much for your viewership. By the way, <clears throat> real quick, please make sure to like, share, subscribe, and just so you're aware, uh, try not to be push this in people's faces too much. I now have a Patreon. That's right. Look in the description. There's a Patreon. I don't know. There's nothing unique or special about the Patreon. It's just if you want to support the channel. It's two bucks. They tell you on Patreon you should do a minimum of $3. There's no tiers. It's just two bucks. You like to support the channel? Two bucks. And, you know, it, it's less than a cup of coffee, and it's two bucks a month. So if you do all the math for all the shows that I put out there, it's actually a pittance. And like I said, if enough people do two bucks, that man, that, that would rule. 
So check out the Patreon if you want. I'm going to eventually add unique content. I just haven't figured that out yet. I just want to put it out there. All my links in the comments, yada, yada, yada. Shut the fuck up, Jeff. Shut your whorish mouth. Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. Too much. Too much already. Okay. <clears throat> Here's Here it is right here. Boom. Glenn Danzig. Now, you know, again, it's like, oh, Jeff, you said that Glenn Danzig, it's a Glenn Danzig interview. Where's Glenn Danzig? Ha ha. I tricked you into clicking on my video. I'm just going to read a Glenn Danzig interview. There's no Glenn. Glenn's not here. But I'll tell you what, I'm going to do it in Glenn Danzig's, my approximation of Glenn Danzig's horse voice. That's what I do. Okay. And yes, eventually I'm going to do a OnlyFans, a Jerry OnlyFans. It's going to be great. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> Glenn Danzig on his new vampire Western and why horror still inspires him on the heels of his divisive. I wonder why he called, why it's said, why they use the word divisive. Hmm. On the heels of his divisive midnight movie. That's a great way to market that. You got to, you got to market it as a midnight movie. Veronica. The singer-turned-filmmaker discusses his new genre-blending gore-fest Death Rider in the House of Vampires, The Misfits' Future, and so much more. Okay, it's eight-minute timestamp. Remember that, guys. Eight minutes, because that's when I'm going to cut that for the Spotify. Glenn Danzig is getting anxious for a return to the normal. A year ago, the heavy metal singer turned horror filmmaker was editing his new feature, a blood-soaked vampire spaghetti western. I still wonder, what is it? where's the spaghetti part? Is it because Glenn is Italian and he's making a western? Because for those of you who are unaware, for those of you who didn't weren't with us for our uh, trailer first look episode where we looked at the Death Rider trailer, a spaghetti western refers to the fact that a lot of Westerns were made in Italy after the big popularization of Westerns in the 60s. So what I'm wondering is, is it just supposed to be like the aesthetic of those spaghetti Westerns? Or are we calling it a spaghetti Western because Glenn is Italian, but not by way of Italy, by way of, you know, Joyzy, Joyzy Italian? Like what, like what is it that makes it a spaghetti Western? I wonder. I truly wonder. Um... <clears throat> It's called Death Rider in the House of Vampires. When the COVID-19 pandemic forced the world into lockdown, Glenn Danzig was editing this film. Now that the film is complete and quarantine protocols are loosening up, he's hoping to get into theaters within the next couple of months. We've already got a plan to go to theaters with it around the country, he said one day late in March. You can go to theaters in most places. You go to the supermarket and be and can be around a million people, but you can't go to a theater. You can sit on an airplane right next to a motherfucker, but you can't go to a theater socially distance. How does that make sense? He sums up his thoughts on COVID lockdowns by saying, look, I have a different opinion of the whole flu than everybody else. And then he refocuses his thoughts on the movie. <laughs> And I so don't want to talk about it. I don't want to talk about my, what I think or what he thinks. Let's just leave it at that at, completely. By the way, I'm so stoked to, I just have to mention that my local Alamo is coming back. For those of you who knew me before I, you know, 
tried to aspire to be this YouTuber persona. I I love the Alamo Draft House. It's my home away from home, and mine was up in limbo, and it looks like it's coming back. Hooray. I'm super stoked about that. Just wanted to say that. In any case, um, yeah, theaters seem to be a, a, a source of contention for with, with the whole COVID thing. Now, I am so not going to comment on this. I, I just want to, let's just, let's leave it apolitical as much. <laughs> what a word, right? Apolitical. Let's, let's just not go there. Let's just not go there. I don't want to go there right now. So, Jeff, just shut up then. Shut up. Don't go there. Uh, much like his first film, the 2019 horror anthology, Verotica, the real stars of Death Rider are its monsters and gore. We've talked about what we think Verotica is. Verotica is Glenn Danzig directing music videos without any music in them, essentially. Um, but Danzig was also able to line up a notable cast for the film. That's true. It's stacked, baby. It's stacked. The movie's trailer shows Danny Trejo showing off a fanged smile. I love his grimace. Danny Trejo is like... Uh, check out, again, check out that episode. Check out that episode where we, we talked all about that. We went frame by frame through the trailer talking about the movie and what we think it's going to be as well as the history of spaghetti westerns yada 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 um the the title character which happens to be final destinations devon sawa pours molten silver down a vampire's throat which is a really cool gag that i don't think we've ever seen in any films maybe in the true blood tv show they did something like that but you know that's like a outside that's a really thinking outside of the box when it comes to vampires, let alone vampire death. And Glenn Danzig himself as a character named Bad Bathory. So Glenn stars in the film. He doesn't have a big role, I don't think. I think it's more of a supporting character position. Uh, I mean, man, if, if I had my druthers, I'm like, dude, if you're going to make a Glenn, if you're going to put out a film, Glenn, and you're trying to sell this thing and make a big deal about it, you might as well star in it. You're doing everything else. You should be the star. Glenn <laughs> You heard it here, folks. You heard it here first, folks. I think Glenn Danzig should be the star of any Glenn Danzig film. It just makes all the sense in the world to me. I mean, if you're going to sell your name, sell your name. Uh, Bad Bathory six, sinks his canines into a bloody corpse. If that sounds comic book e, that's because it is. Danzig, who runs his own comics publisher called Verotic, teamed with comic book artist Simon Bisley on storyboards for the film. So the Biz did the storyboards for this film. I wonder, you know, that would make for a very interesting book, coffee book, book of some kind. You know, Glenn likes publishing stuff. He did lyric books. He's done. He's done his comic books. Why not do a a storyboard? A storyboard, whatever type of book thingy, Bobby, blah, 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 blah. Danzig also directed, wrote the movie screenplay, and composed his story. He's a he's a misfit renaissance man. You know what I mean? So, like, why not just star in the thing straight up? You know what I'm saying? Uh, although Veronica got mostly scathing reviews, none of which bothered the unflappable Danzig. I love that that's how they refer to me. The unflappable Danzig. Uh, the filmmaker says his movie was enough of a financial success that he was able to secure a bigger budget. Uh, sorry, this thing messed up on me. He was able to secure a bigger budget for Death Rider. He's especially excited about the cast he was able to hire. 
Julian Sands is one of my favorite actors, he says. I mean, I could just sit here for two hours naming off his credits to you. Everything from The Killing Fields to Warlock to Boxing Helena. By the way, if you've not seen Boxing Helena, it is a really twisted film directed by David Lynch's daughter. It's her, it's her first film by Jennifer Lynch. And it is also the inspiration for the 1995 Misfits song, Helena, If I Cut Off Your Arms and If I Cut Off Your Legs. That's what that is. Um, he's the nicest guy in the world and an incredible actor, referring to Julian Sands, who talked about working with Glenn Danzig when he was on the Shockwaves podcast uh, maybe a year or so ago, like a year and a year, like two two years, a year and a half ago. And he had done a nasty piece of work for Blumhouse and he was promoting it. And he talked about working with Glenn Danzig. Uh, and I forgot what he said. I think he had, he had mostly positive things to say. Uh, and he says also, and then we got Devin Sawa as Death Rider, Kim Director as Carmilla Joe, Danny Trejo came in and did a guest shot. The scene that he's in with Devin is kind of like my home homage. It's kind of like my homage to an Eli Wallach, Clint Eastwood thing. Again, you know, no matter what we think of Glenn Danzig's aesthetics, whatever, you know, his shortcomings may be as a filmmaker, he 115 billion percent is well-read when it comes to films and knows his stuff. So even if he's not, and I talked about this again, sorry to keep referring this other episode. Oh no, now I'm referring to the Veronica episode. My, I did a Veronica review. I attempted to do one. And that's, you know, I talked about bridging the gap between taste and ability. And that's what Glenn has. Glenn has a lot of taste, but he doesn't have as much ability. And he's trying to mesh the two together. It's the same thing with music. It's the same thing with anything else. It's what you're able to do versus what you're into. And how can you execute something that, that is derivative of what you're into or, you know, that you want to be influenced by what you're into, but maybe you don't necessarily have the skill to pull, pull it off. And that's kind of the thing that can go down, you know, in general. And that's just about art. That's just that's just art creation in general. You know what I'm saying? Picking up what I'm putting down here. When Danzig talks about the film, you can practically hear him beaming over the telephone. Movies have been a part of his identity since he started The Misfits and wrote songs named after low-budget horror flicks like Night of the Living Dead and Horror Hotel. Uh, fun fact, Horror Hotel was written by Glenn Danzig after Howie Pyro suggested it. Uh, Howie Pyro's favorite film, one of his favorite films, was Horror Hotel, and he was very tight with Glenn in 1979. His band, The Blessed, played with The Misfits and yada, yada, yada. He's in the documentary, They Came From Lodi, and he specifically said, hey, Glenn, could you write a song about my favorite horror film, uh, Horror Hotel. And that's why, you know, again, some of the songs are a juxtaposition of topics. We've talked about that, you know, how he uses one to springboard into the other. Um, horror Hotel seems to literally be about the movie Horror Hotel. As a matter of fact, it might be the first of its kind where Glenn is writing a song to order based on a horror film, a template that every single person influenced by Glenn Danzig would mimic or imitate or mirror in one way or another. Um, his knowledge of B-grade horror films runs deep, and in conversation, he's prone to referencing long-forgotten Mexican she-wolf movies within minutes of an off-handed quip about the murderous doll Chucky. See, that is cool, man. That's why 
if I was going to, I said that talked about this before. If I was going to interview Glenn, I wouldn't even talk to him. I wouldn't start with music. I would totally like throw down my movie knowledge against his and try and find that even ground, find some, earn some respect or some comfort from him where he lets his guard down and then we can dive into all the all the nooks and crannies. That That's what I would do if I had my dream Danzig interview, which I will never get for the reason that I would want it in the first place. So let's not even talk about it anymore. It's never going to happen. Um, as for his other career, he says he's reached something of an impasse with music. Wow. Interest, that's interesting when he says that. While he still loves singing songs like Mother and Her Black, Wings, blah, 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 Her Black Wings Live, he feels less motivated to record albums because the record-buying public has become apathetic. He has a couple of Danzig concerts on the books for this year, and he hasn't closed the book on his reunion with the original Misfits, but for now, he's happy finding his place in the world of horror. Now, all he has to do is get his movie out there. If you like vampire rest westerns, he says with a laugh, you're going to love it. Now, what other examples of vampire westerns are there? The first thing that comes to mind is Near Dark which was directed by Catherine Bigelow. It was her first film. She was married to Jim Cameron for a while, and that has Bill Paxton, Lanx Hangerson reuniting. You know, they were in a bunch of uh, uh, James, James Cameron films, Aliens and Terminator and yada, 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 even though Bill Paxton's only in it for two seconds. But it's a really, really awesome uh, vampire Western. And, you know, it's funny about that. They tried to market it. They rebranded. They, like, re did a new marketing campaign, and they tried to make the cover look like Twilight when it, when Twilight was really popular. And I remember seeing that and thinking, wow, it's really a sign of the contemporary times where, you know, I don't know. Ah, I see that all of you guys are mentioning Ballad and Dr. Airlift and Pod have all mentioned From Dust Till Dawn. While it... It, it's sort of, and Chris as well, while it is kind of a vampire Western, I would say that it's more of a, it's more of a, a, a crime vampire film. Here's the thing about From Dust Till Dawn. Even though, okay, so first of all, a quick sidetrack before we get back to our Glenn Danzig interview. Uh, From Dust Till Dawn is actually the proto-grindhouse. So Grindhouse would come out in 2007, almost 11, about 11 years after From Dust Till Dawn. But From Dust Till Dawn is the first attempt at Robert Rodriguez and Quentin Tarantino doing a double feature, except that the double feature is actually one two-hour film. Even though Quentin Tarantino wrote the whole thing and Robert Rodriguez directed the whole thing, the first half, literally the first hour of From Dust Till Dawn is a crime thriller via Tarantino. It's Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction and all that jazz. You know, it's a bunch of escaped bank robbers on the lam, you know, trying to get down across the border uh, to get to this fictional uh, gangster paradise called El Rey. And then the moment that they uh, that you hit about the one hour mark, everybody turns into a vampire. And suddenly you're sprung from being in a in a Tarantino crime thriller to or a crime drama, whatever you want to call it, into full on Robert Rodriguez monster desperado action. Because I mean, what is what is the second half of From Dust Till Dawn but Desperado with vampires? You know, like a shoot 'em up in a bar, except there's a bunch of v monstrous shape shifting vampires 
with tons of great cameos from Fred Williamson and Tom Savini. You got Harvey Keitel in there. I mean, it really is a perfect film. I wouldn't necessarily call it a Western just because it takes place in Mexico. Uh, I could see why you might think that. I guess it does follow some of the Western tropes. There, you have robbers on the run. You have, uh, you know, cold-blooded killer robbers on the run. You have, um, they're crossing over a border. They have to, you know, rendezvous and then go to a safe haven. So in that way, those are all sort of like, like um, story elements that you find in a Western. So maybe it's like, it's one degree removed from a Western, but I wouldn't give it the, I would not lump it in there with say near dark in that same kind of way. Another, you know, it is a vampire Western though. 100% is from Dust Till Dawn part three, the hangman's daughter, which takes place a hundred years from, uh, before from Dust Till Dawn spoilers for anyone who has not seen from Dust Till Dawn part three or part one. It turns out that the titty twister, the bar is sitting on top of an Aztec pyramid, which goes back clearly thousands of years. They've been doing this sort of thing forever. And so the third film, which is actually a prequel, take, uh, takes place at the Titty Twister when it's called like The Devil's Teat or something. And that is a full-on vampire western, and it is awesome. If nobody's ever seen, both the sequels are great. They're direct-to-video sequels. They're great sequels. Check them out. Texas Blood Money and The Hangman's Daughter. Uh, they were directed back to back in in 1998, 1999, and they are phenomenal. So um, I would call that a Western. And to, to, to finish what I was saying, From Dust Till Dawn is the proto Grindhouse because literally 11 years later, those guys team up and they do Grindhouse again. So in a way, From Dust Till Dawn is 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 the is the proto grindhouse. The other thing about From Dust Till Dawn that's interesting, and then I swear to God we're going to go back to talking about Glenn Danzig. The other thing that's interesting about From Dust Till Dawn is um, it was supposed to be a Tales from the Crypt movie. That's right. It was originally written as a Tales from the Crypt movie um, before Robert Rodriguez was directing it. It was written by Tarantino, and it was written by Tarantino in exchange for special effects that were done in Reservoir Dogs. So he went to, uh, Quinn Tarantino went to Robert Crutzman and said, hey man, I need an ear cut off. I need this cop. He gets his ear cut off. Um, I Would you do this effect for me? I don't have a lot of money. And uh, Robert Crutzman said, hey, I will do this effect for you if you write a screenplay based on my treatment. So the story is actually by Robert Crutzman, not by... Um, Quentin Tarantino, and they actually shot a a teaser trailer um, with with instead of George Clooney being um, Seth Gecko. Do you know who is Seth Gecko? This is gonna blow your minds. It was Joe Pilato, Captain Rhodes from Day of the Dead, was the original Seth Gecko, and you can find it out there. There is a a little promo of him, you know, blowing this vampire bat away. It's kind of like the like a sizzle reel to to get interested uh people inv uh, invested. In any case, it almost became a uh Tales from the Crypt property. That did not happen and it wound up being what it was. And, you know, then you have like, the TV series and yada yada yada. I literally could talk for, about From Dust Till Dawn forever. It is one of my favorite films for sure. Um, so yeah, so there you go in terms of vampire westerns. It's like, what is a vampire western? Wow. Talk about a tangent, folks. What? So now we're in the interview part of the film. Let me uh, interview part of the interview. Let me just wet my whistle. Ah, okay. 
What is Death Rider in the House of Vampires about? It's a homage to classic vampire movies and of course, classic Italian spaghetti. So there you go. So he like, he straight up dropped name. I'm not going to read like Glenn. I'm not going to, I can't do it tonight. I, I just can't my voice. Um, he name drops classic Italian spaghetti Westerns. I just mixed the two genres. I didn't think anyone would have done it before, but that's not true as we've just spoke. Well, Westerns, but not spaghetti Westerns. Um, so, so he mixed those two genres. And again, Italian spaghetti Westerns have five distinct genres within the genre of Italian spaghetti Westerns. We talked about that. We broke that down. I'm not going to break it down right now. Um, Basically, the character Death Rider travels to the vampire sanctuary out in the middle of the desert, and then it goes all crazy after that. Rolling Stone, does he know it's a vampire sanctuary? He said, and Glenn says, yeah, and he knows that the price of admission is a virgin, so he brings a girl on a horse. Oh, by the way, this is, this is, here you go. There's Danny Trejo's like weird grimace as a vampire. I love this. He's like, uh, he just looks so weird. What a weird grimace he does. Uh, so the price of admission to the vampire sanctuary is a virgin. Wow. Um, Rolling Stone. Did you write the bad Bathory character for yourself? Glenn says, I started writing the script. I had all these characters. And then everyone was like, you know what? I could do this. And we won't have to look for someone and we'll get out of it cheap. Wait, what? I was like, you know what? I oh, sorry. He's like, he said, I started writing the script and I had all these characters. And then eventually I was like, you know what? I could do this and we won't have to look for somebody and we'll get out of it cheap. So I didn't originally intend for me to be that character. But then I just started thinking about him like, I'll just do this one. It's not a big part. It would be easy. I could still I could still do the directing. With directing, at least for me, you're involved in everything. People come to you with wardrobes, sets, casting, pre-production is insane. It's insane. The director's got the hardest job. I just want to make sure I'm like a real director and not like one of these Hollywood directors where someone else will start the movie and then they take the credit. So I also think, and this is something that, yeah, <laughs> Rue, Rue, exactly. I, I love that. You, I, I so love that you picked up on that. You know what? That's exactly right. He's like, I was like, you know what? I could do this. I could definitely do this. That's exactly, that's exactly like he just did the, 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 the mental math, you know, it took him two seconds to do that. Um, I think Glenn, Glenn's idea of being a director. And again, I'm making assumptions here. I think I, 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 I theorize, I speculate that Glenn's idea about like, about like being a director, like comes from the same style as Dan O'Bannon, Dan O'Bannon who did Return of the Living Dead. He did one other movie called The Resurrection, which is very, very unknown and should definitely be checked out starring Chris Sarandon of Fright Night fame. Um, you know, talked about always trying to be the auteur. What is the auteur? Auteur simply means it's it's a French word for the author of the film. So the, the French New Wave, the idea was that you are the author of the film. You have your hand in every little thing. That's what makes you the auteur and that's what makes you the director. When in reality, you know, the, there's so many moving parts when making a big budget film or even just an independent film, yada, yada, yada. And so it's like, it's like, you know, Glenn is, seems to be operating from this idea that he has to be, have his fingers in every single 
pie available, you know, um, and probably probably uh, at the expense of the production. Uh, and, you know, that, you know, probably doesn't doesn't help things. Um, Rolling Stone. Did you learn directing from music videos? Glenn says, yeah, music videos and documentaries. A lot of times I would direct or edit the music videos that producer Rick Rubin would have us do. And he wanted more storyline stuff, which made the videos like little movies as a matter. But what what Danzig? I mean, there's not a lot of Danzig like what Danzig music videos have stories, really, except for like crawling across your killing floor. Is there anything that has that? I don't think so. Um. I don't know. I really don't know. Um, as a matter of fact, in the beginning, with a lot of the videos, we would just sit and talk about our favorite horror movies. And of course, him and I both like film producer Val Luton. Val Luton's back in the 30s. He did all sorts of, he did, um, uh, what he did Cat People and uh, The Vampire. I think he did The Vampire Pat. And Val Luton's guy, director Jacques Tunier. I can't, I cannot pronounce that. Who did Curse of the Demon. Curse of the Demon is actually a British film. Really interesting little horror film. I think from 1958, where on a piece of paper, you recite this incantation that causes a demon to come and take you away. Something like that. Um, which has incredible photography. He's talked about Curse of the Demon has incredible photography. And we would nick little things here there. I love that he uses the word nick. That's what... Paul McCartney and, and the Beatles, they always talk about when they like steal something. It's not stealing. It's, you, you, you know, that's what all artists take from other artists. You're inspired by something. It goes back to the thing I was talking about, having taste and having ability. You're inspired with your taste and you try to execute with your ability. And that's what he's talking about. So I love that he uses the word Nick because that's what it is. You just Nick, you Nick a thing here, you Nick a thing there and you incorporate it. When I made my feature length film, that's what I did. I had was influenced by a lot of stuff and I tried my best to funnel all of that into my visual work. And there's a thousand and one little Easter eggs. I think for any, you know, filmmaker will tell you that there are a thousand one little Easter eggs that nobody ever is going to know. You you try to paint the frame as much as you can with all the, the stuff that really means something to you in some way, shape or form. Um. So he's talking about we would nick little things here or there like the lighting and things like that. The videos, the videos for Mother and Am I Demon were both influenced by German black and white silence. What he really means to say is German expressionalism and Val Luton films. So Rolling Stone says, so by the time you decided to direct Veronica, you knew what you were doing. Glenn says, well, I'd already been directing for 30 years. Oh, come on, dude. Come on, Glenn. Uncle Glenn. Come on, man. I mean, let's not don't don't act like you've been a director for 30 years. Like, I get it. I get that you like kind of did some directing. But like, I mean, you make it sound he makes it sound like he has a, a, a 30 year body work as, you know, in, in the realm of cinema. You know, I, I don't want to take away from, you know, the Danzig home video and the Danzig videos. But like, come on. Um, Veronica, he says, of course, Veronica with a very was very that. Of course, Veronica was with a very low budget, so we really had to call in a lot of favors. It was really a big crash course in making something look like it cost more than it did. Glenn, it doesn't look like it cost more than it did. It doesn't look like it cost a lot of money. I mean, 
Guys, you know how much I love Danzig. I, I talked about how I'm a Jerry-only apologist. I'm a Glenn Danzig apologist. I apologize for Glenn Danzig way more than anyone like me has business doing. But, I mean, come on. Like, I, I'm not going to sit here and just, like, blow that much smoke up the guy's ass. You know, he's trying to pass himself off as this, like, I don't think, I, I, don't, I don't agree with this. I just, I don't. I, I don't, man. Sorry, Uncle Glenn. Sorry. Um... He says it was really a big crash course in making something look like it cost more than it did. I mean, look, dude, like I really don't want to take away from the fact that, you know, that he had been directing stuff and, you know, working in with with the the medium of video for a long time, because it's true. He had. And but in the realm of music video. It's so much different. It's way, way, way more different, man. It's a it's a complete jump. It's like I'm trying to think of an example um, you know, it would be like, you know, doing polka. It'd be like going from polka to hardcore punk, man. Come on. You know, like that's how you have to think about it. That's, that's what I'm really trying to say here, you know? Um, so, and in that realm, you would not say I've been playing punk rock for 30 years. You would say I did 30 years of polka and now I'm dabbling in punk rock for my, to, to complete my analogy, you know? Um, so the good thing about Death Rider for me was I had a bigger budget and also we went SAG on this one. So we were able to get a lot more actors than we wanted. That's the thing. SAG, studio, uh, uh, sorry, uh, Screen Actors Guild is the, that that is, and, and you know, Glenn probably got his SAG card or probably, I think he might, maybe he had it before with when he did the Prophecy too. But, you know, or in any case, maybe he re reinvigorated his SAG card by being in this film. Um, the, the guild, it's a, it's a union. It's basically an actor's union where you get benefits, you can get health insurance, all sorts of stuff through SAG. So it's like a, it's a very important, uh, and very annoying and very, uh, it can really be, it can be an obstacle or it can be a safety net. Let's just put it that way. Uh, it all depends on the situation, but it provides a lot of actors, uh, professional, it provides professional actors with all sorts of benefits that you don't get when you go from job to job to job. That's what it is. And and unions are important. And that union is important for that reason. So he's saying we went SAG. And the thing is, if you go union with your film, suddenly all your, your world opens up. Like you, there's so many, you have so many options in terms of casting, because here's the thing. If you are SAG and you do a non-SAG film, you can get fined or kicked out of SAG. So it's very important. And they, they have people that check, although they say they don't really check, yada, yada, yada. And um, yeah, I don't know. So so he went SAG on this one. He had a lot more options. Good for you, Uncle Glenn. Rolling Stone says, Veronica got some pretty harsh reviews. Did they bother you? Glenn says, well, it's kind of like when I do records. I want people to either love or hate it. And so we've got a lot of great reviews and we've got a lot of reviews by people who hate it. But if you look at Citizen Kane, <laughs> but if you look at Citizen Kane, people, that was panned. It's now a classic. Veronica, Citizen Kane. Yeah, baby. Um, although, you know, what's kind of funny. He talks about this stuff like this. But in the realm of like punk rock, Walk Among Us, Static Age and Earth AD and yada, yada, yada are like they're they are these masterworks of punk rock, you know, like so, you know, again, within his own sort of 
<laughs> within his own sort of paradigm, there is something to be said there, I guess, a little bit. Um, he says, it was panned as overindulgent, terrible, unwatchable. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm so bad. Everyone has an opinion and they're entitled to their opinion. That's true. And I've talked about this before. And again, you know, if you find a video where I'm doing this, please call me out. Call me on my bullshit. But in general, I don't, I really do not, for the most part, cr criticize, I don't, I don't bash other people's artistic work. I may not like it. The worst you'll ever hear me say is that it's not my cup of tea. And I think I feel pretty darn good about saying that. Robbie makes a good point here. <laughs> What would, Robbie says, what would 1984 movie critic Glenn think of Veronica? Exactly, exactly. That's, you know, that's the perfect way to sum it all up. That is the perfect way to sum it all up. We'll, we'll leave it at that. Point is, is that I really try my, my darndest not to. I will only lift up work or I will constructively critique it. If I have something of substance to say, I will never say something sucked. I will never drag something down. I will never tell you not to watch something ever. I won't. I won't do it. You know, I, I've whenever I talk about Misfits 95, I don't say I hate that shit. I, I, as a matter of fact, I like it. I'm saying the stuff that I don't like, not my cup of tea. I always say I like half of Famous Monsters, right? Don't I always say that? Do I talk about the stuff I don't like? No, not really. I always try to find the good in someone's art. That's the truth. And if I ever, if you ever catch me not doing that publicly, call me on my shit. Really, truly, illuminate. Because I deserve to be called on my shit for that because I don't ever want to be that guy. I don't. I don't. I don't believe in that. It's so hard to create art. You have no idea. If you are, if you are a creator of music, of art, or anything, and you bring something into the world, like... Freaking, you know, right then and there, that's a miracle, okay? No matter how bad it is. And you, you really, really, truly should never drag down someone's art no matter how much you don't like it or disagree with it. Just, you know, everybody, everybody is entitled to their opinion, as Glenn says here. We took it on the road to everybody, and the fans loved it. And so it made a bunch of money. That's great. It became kind of a cult classic, and I'm sure that's what Glenn tells himself, you know. And he, to an extent, he's kind of right. It, it, it will go down in infamy for what it is. You know, you can be a cult classic for your infamy, and I would say Veronica is an infamous movie. So, um, so there's that. In the beginning of COVID, people were having Veronica binge parties. What more could you ask for? So I'm glad that he can find the silver lining of that, you know? Eric says, but Jeff, talking shit is fun and healthy. It's good. Well, I do talk shit. I would be, I would be, um, <laughs> I would be lying uh, if I would, if I said I didn't talk shit. I talk tons of shit. I'm a super shit talker. When I first started doing this stuff years ago, I tried not to talk shit. And eventually after, you know, I, I did my Graves and Chud episodes, I started talking a little more shit. Like I relaxed on that. Um, however, you know, some, maybe a little sh shit talking is a lot of fun. I like doing it. It's fun, but you, you shouldn't do it. It's, it's bad form. Dude, you admitting you like Grave songs after you interview with him and how he acted shows you can separate. Yeah, I can separate it. Of course I can. Of course. 
And, you know, even to this day, if I was face to face with Graves, no matter how much I dislike him, I would still be like, yeah, man, Teenage Monster. Good song. You wrote a good song. Can't argue that. Can't argue that. Um, so, yeah. So, so, so Glenn is stoked here. He says, what more could you ask for? I'm totally happy. If people don't like it, then they don't have to watch it. And that's true, too. Um, Rolling Stone says, you love Ed Wood movies like Plan 9 from Outer Space, and people didn't give those the best reviews either. Do you think some viewers just didn't get what you were going for? Now, here, oh, I already see right now. I'm, like, looking at it. He, he, he's about to drop Bava and Argento. Like, Glenn has a vocabulary. He knows about some stuff. You know what I'm saying? But that's what I'm talking about. Aesthetic and taste do not always equal ability. And that's what Veronica truly is, you know? He says, look, I still love stuff like Bava, Mario Bava, and Dario Argento. Mario Bava is the father of Lumberto Bava, and Argento is Argento, you know, Suspiria, Phenomena, Tenambre, Mother of Tears, Opera, Four Grave Flies on Velvet, or Four Flies on Grave Velvet, Cat of Nine Tails, Zombie, that sort of jazz. You can uh, you can see color schemes in a lot of that stuff. And I mean, there's a hanging scene in Veronica in the Dejet sequence that's just the biggest homage to Argento. Either you get it or you don't get it. If you don't get it, that's fine. Go watch some stupid Chucky movie or something. You know, Chucky 5. <laughs> can we put this on a t-shirt? Ready? He says... Go watch some stupid Chucky movie or something. You know, Chucky 5 million or whatever. <laughs> I love that so much. I love that so much. Go watch some stupid Chucky movie or something. You know, Chucky 5 million or whatever. I mean, look, I'm ragging on Chucky, but not really. So he's ragging on Chucky, but not really. In other words, it's not it's not some studio movie. If you're expecting a studio movie, you're in the wrong place. Go watch some stupid Chucky movie or something. You know, Chucky 5 million or whatever. Hey, go watch some stupid Chucky movie. Chucky 5 million or whatever. I'm, I, that's going to be like a line of dialogue in my next film or something. Hey, if you don't like it, that's fine. Go watch some stupid Chucky movie or something. You know, Chucky 5 million or whatever. Um, Veronica, Rolling Stone says, Veronica was unrated. Will Death Rider be unrated too? And folks, let me tell you something. I think if you were outside of the studio system like Glenn Danzig is, like George Romero was, the best thing, like Brian Usna and Stuart Gordon were, I think the best thing you could ever do is bring your, if you're, if you're going to be putting your film in theaters, do it unrated. Do not go through the rating system. Fuck that censorship bullshit, man. It's all about being unrated. Look at what happened with Reanimator. Look at what happened with Dawn of the Dead. Both of those films decided not to go through the MPAA and instead decided to, uh, they four-walled it. They did, um, they four-walled it, 42nd Street, 1978, Dawn of the Dead. Word of mouth spread like wildfire. They made so much money with Dawn of the Dead and they never had to cut a single frame of film from it. And it was the same situation with Reanimator. There's literally a scene where a head gives head spoilers. 
head giving head, okay? Like, like they knew, Brian Usna knew, and the reason why I keep talking about Brian Usna is because I spoke to him for three hours. That's right. I have a three-hour Brian Usna podcast coming, and he's one of my favorite filmmakers of all time, and I can't wait for you guys to see that. By the way, if you're just joining us, please take a moment to like, share, subscribe, especially subscribe to this show. It really supports us. We're also on Spotify, podcasts, yada, yada. There's a new Patreon, two bucks a month. That's less than the cost of a cup of coffee to support the creation of this content. Check all that stuff down in the description below. In any case, going unrated is the best thing that you can do with your film, I think. If you're outside of the studio system, if you don't have to play by their rules, go uncensored. Uh, Death Rider will probably be rated R, says Glenn. That's a shame. Look, I don't even care about the rating system. I think it's all out the window. Kids can go online and see the most sick shit in the world. Uh, all there is is a little disclaimer that says you are over 18 and you click on it. Ha ha ha. Um, in 2021, we're talking about a rating system? It's ridiculous. Look, I, yo, he just is talking about Dawn of the Dead. He says, look, I remember when Dawn of the... I, dude, I, that's crazy. Um... Look, I remember when Dawn of the Dead came out, it got rated V for violence, or it was unrated. It was unrated. In other words, they gave it an NC-17 kind of rating. That's not true. That is not true. What happened was they brought it, uh, Romero and Richard Rubenstein brought it before the MPAA, as I just said. They were going to cut all this stuff out, and they said, fuck it, we'll go unrated. And that was it. And here's the thing about going unrated too that's really bad. The reason why you want to go in the in the rating system if you're a major, you know, studio film is you can't take out print ads. Like you're not going to be able to take out print ads. There are certain movie theaters you can't play in unrated. Like it it, it definitely hampers things in a certain uh, sense via promotion and distribution. But the flip side of that is that your film comes out completely uncut and pure and people want the uncut pure shit. What did did we not learn from cocaine? Come on. (laughs) Um, so it didn't stop people from going to see it. Yada, yada, yada. Um, Rolling Stone asks, what makes a good vampire movie? Glenn says, Wow. What makes a good vampire movie? You gotta have vamp. <laughs> Glenn is hilarious in this interview. Well, what makes a good vampire movie? You gotta have vampires. Pretty much everybody except the people who get bit in Death Rider are vampires. All the main cast are vampires. So you don't have to wait around to see a vampire. And you need a lot of blood. I gotta read this like Glenn. Well, what makes a good vampire movie? You gotta have vampires. Pretty much everybody except the people who get bitten are vampires. All the main cast are vampires. So you don't have to wait around to see a vampire. And you're gonna need a lot of blood. Um, Rolling Stone asks, what are your favorite vampire movies? Glenn says, I like some of the vampire movies like Lust for a Vampire and Twins of Evil. I send my motogram to all these monster kids. Wait, uh, uh, walls are closing in around you. My twins of walls start closing in around you. My twins of evil, they shake you by the collarbone and snap your rib cage and broken bodies of death rock dance hall. You know, it's funny. That could almost be like a country song. I want to see a country version. Sorry, I'm having ADD right now. I want to see a country version of All Hell Breaks Loose. 
Ready? Wash up closing in around you, my twins of evil that shake you by the collarbone and snap your rib cage and broken bottom of death rock dance hall. Please be my partner and eyeball popping excited blood beat veins are shaking and all hell breaks loose. Could you imagine like the, 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 the spoons in the background like clacking? You know, you're doing and all hell breaks loose. And evil is as evil does in the hall. Yeah, but who but me could write this murder? Boom, I'll send my monogram to all these monster kids. And they come right back to me. And sound in the daddy's blood and broken bottles in red rock tents. Oh, please be my partner. And I'm all popping and celebrate, but the veins are shaking. And oh, hell, I, I just love that. I would love it. And then, it's, and then you get the washboard solo. And it's like, washboard. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Wouldn't that be fun, though? That would be a lot of fun. I could totally see that. You know, you get the veins are shaking and all hell breaks. All right, I got to shut up. Sorry. <laughs> um, so Twins of Evil, Vampire Lovers, stuff like that. I think George, okay, he's about to talk about one of the best vampire movies ever made it's still never been released i got to interview martin himself it's an unreleased interview that i've never put out there i really should he says i think george romero did a really good vampire movie called martin it shattered a lot of the myths of vampires like the gar the garlic thing and all that crap you have all the newer ones which are very slick and big budget like the underworld movies here's my impression of the underworld movies i am a death Sorry for anybody who's British and listening to this. I apologize for my terrible imitation of a British accent. I'm a death dealer. I'm a death dealer. Um, He's talking about the big budget, big budget vampire films like the Underworld movies and things like that. I don't know. He says he still likes the older ones better. Um, Rolling Stone asks, what makes a good Western? I'm, I'm going to answer this question before I even look at the thing. I'm going to say revenge. Revenge is what makes for a good, the revengeful <laughs> revenge. Uh, Glenn says, well, I don't necessarily like Western movies per se. Dude, Glenn, you ginormous poser. What a poser. You know, make a va spaghetti vampire Western. You don't like Western movies per se. He, when he says this, he sounds like, like, like a hipster. Well, I don't necessarily like Western movies per se. Uh, I don't like I don't necessarily like Western movies per se. There are a lot of good American Western movies, but there are a ton of terrible ones. I like where the Italians came in and reinvented the American Western and actually did it better. So I like Once Upon a Time in the West. That okay, cool, cool. All right, maybe I spoke too soon. I said I'm reading this blind. He says I like all the Clint Eastwood ones. Uh, filmmaker Sergio Leone is great. Although the last Sergio film was not a Western. It was actually Once Upon a Time in America, a gangster film. And then, of course, uh, director Sergio Carbucci. The original Django is really good. There's so many. Just forgotten Just forgotten spaghetti. Just forgotten Italian spaghetti Westerns because there is so... Blah, sorry, I can't like re... Blah, let's do this again. There's just so many, there's so many just forgotten Italian spaghetti Westerns because they were cranking them out until the late 70s and early 80s. Now, I believe when we when we did our whole deep dive on spaghetti Westerns for the show, because we knew Glenn was doing one uh, th from a period of time, I think it was something like 14 or 15 years. 
600 spaghetti westerns were released. So that's the actual number. It was like from early 60s to mid 70s, there were 600 spaghetti westerns. Crazy. Crazy. Um, Rolling Stone asks or says, those movies are also violent as hell too. And Glenn says, well, you've got to have some violence in shooting and people getting shot. So we have all that with close-ups grimacing at each other in Death Rider. Look, I want the movies to be fun and I want people to be entertained by them. And you know what? I I commend you, Glenn, for that, for saying that. I'm Me too, man. Me freaking too, man. Um, Rolling Stone asks, what do you still get out of horror films? And he says... You know, there's just a lot of terrible ones out now, and I just don't I just don't get the point. For me, I just like watching something cool, new, original, or something old that I'd never even heard about, and I finally got to see. Rolling Stone asks, any favorites recently? Um, Glenn says, I, I finally got to see this Mexican werewolf woman movie called La Loba, which was cool. It's cheesy in some parts, but it's cool, especially for the time period. Rolling Stone asks, are there any newer horror movies that you like? These are literally the, th- the three questions in a row. What do you still get out of horror movies? Any favorites recently? Are there any newer horror movies that you like? And Glenn says, no, nothing that's blowing my mind. Ha ha. Uh, Rolling Stone asks, what's the last thing that really shocked you? Whether it's a movie or a book or anything. Glenn says, oh, it's pretty hard to shock me these days. I've been surprised maybe, but I haven't seen anything that I'm just like, Wow. There are some scenes that are like, whoa, like when the girl saws off the guy's leg in audition. That was a gnarly scene. If you haven't seen audition spoilers with the piano wire, that's like, whoa, because they don't flinch away from it. They show it. It's tough to watch, especially if you put yourself in that spot and you're just like, oh, man. (laughs) Sorry, Glenn. I didn't realize that you had uh, tried to do amputation with piano wire. That is uh, that is a very relatable scene in a horror film. For someone like Glenn Danzig, makes sense. <laughs> He's like, especially if you put yourself in that spot, and you're just like, oh man, oh, you know what? I am so sorry. I, I retract my last statement. Stupid me. He's he's what he's saying is I I read I read I read it wrong because I suck at reading. He, what he's saying is, if you put yourself in the scene, he's saying if you put yourself in that spot. So if you put yourself in Okay, never mind, never mind. Whoops, whoopsie-daisy, I made a mistake. Um, but, it makes, but it makes it more real because you can see that happening. Like the mob uses piano wire. It becomes reality. Like this could actually happen. Um, so he's talking about like how, you know, one puts themselves in the situation and then the horror is amplified because you're, you're putting yourself in the situation in the first place. Um, Rolling Stone asks, when did you start getting into horror movies? Glenn says, back east, late at night, we had Chiller Theater and Zachary, the coolest ghoul. And all other things where they would show monster movies, horror movies. We had TV. Oh, (laughs) oh my God. He literally says it right now. Zachary. We had TV host John Zachary when I was a little kid. I think every town had their own kind of horror host who would host monster movies and horror movies. So I think everybody was exposed to it. And as you know, Zachary, he put out music. He had an album called Dining Din- Dinner with Drac. 
And the song Dinner with Drac is great, but there's a song called Coolest Little Monster that's just, we used to sing that in chorus when I was like in like elementary school. It's a great, great song. You're the coolest little monster that ever laid a spook on me. Monster mine, I love you all the time. I'll be true. I'm so in love with you. It's like uh, eight nails of hang nails. Uh, lipstick of arsenic, lipstick of arsenic. Well, you're the coolest little monster that ever laid a spook on me. Doobie 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 doo the monster mine. Do 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 we love you all the time. Do 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 do. I'll be true. <laughs> I'm so in love with you. Doobie doobie doo. Sorry. Okay. Um. Rolling Stone ass. Okay, here we go. Here's the big one. Rolling Stone ass. You wrote a bunch of songs in the Misfits about horror movies. How did that start? Glenn says, I would just use them as a catalyst to jump off from there and write about. Blah. So let me take that one more time. You wrote a bunch of songs in the Misfits about horror movies. How did that start? I would just use them. Glenn says, I would just use them as a catalyst to jump off from and write about. So the songs aren't necessarily about what the title is. A song like Astro Zombies is not really about Astro Zombies. It's about world domination. So what I would do then is take the title on some of these songs, not all songs, and play with it and do lots of different stuff, make some social commentaries and things like that. So there you go, man. Uh, there, there you go. Like there's Glenn... So there is social commentary, is a form of politics, which does make the misfits somewhat political in some way, shape, or form. Not in the sense of government politics, because I asked a question on my YouTube channel about, like, you know, are the misfits political, you know? And in this kind of way, he is kind of saying something. He's saying something with those misfit songs, unlike the 95 misfits, where they're literally just trying to write a horror song about a horror film. Uh, Rolling Stone asks, what's the story behind Last Caress? That obviously wasn't about a movie. And Glenn says, it's just a crazy ass song. We would just do things to, to piss people off. Um, you know, we've talked about on other episodes, like what what is Last Caress really saying? And, you know, again, when you when you look at the lyrics, it's very interesting. Like you look at it from the point of view of I because it's the it's someone saying I got something to say. You know, and uh, there was, I don't know, we, we did this whole thing where we looked at it uh, based on something else I saw in another YouTube video and, and determined that it's actually a song about death incarnate. And again, we don't know, actually know what it's about. Just like what we interpreted, what was interpreted is that it's death incarnate or it's someone who's a serial killer who is doing these horrible things as he waits for death to take him away. And that's what the last caress is. Something like that. Something like that. Rolling Stone says, so was that song, talking about last caress, just let me think of the most fucked up things I can think of? And Glenn says, part of it, yeah. Like, fuck everybody. Fuck you, fuck you, fuck you, fuck the world. And that was pretty much the attitude. It was just like, fuck your system, fuck all this bullshit. It was something else. I don't think people will ever see anything like it again. There won't be any new bands coming out like that. Now they will just get immediately or they will just immediately get canceled. Uh, Rolling Stone asks, what do you mean? Glenn says, people don't understand because everything's so cancel culture. I hate that word. Um, <clears throat> cancel culture, woke bullshit nowadays. But you could never have the punk explosion 
nowadays because of cancel culture and woke bullshit. You could never have it. It would just have never happened. We're lucky that it happened when it did because it will never happen again. You won't have any of those kinds of bands ever again. Everyone's so uptight and PC and just like, okay, whatever. Exactly the type of response I would expect from Glenn Danzig. Um, Rolling Stone asks, what do you draw inspiration from these days? And Glenn says, just whatever inspires me. Right now, I'm probably working on, let's see, three or four comic books. I love how he says, that's another one, Rue. Rue Morick. Let's see. Uh, right now, I'm probably working on, let's see, three or four comic books, probably about three scripts. I might be doing this thing for DC Comics, a one-shot deal, me and artist Simon Bisley. So we'll see where it all pans out. But I'm also working on the script for Death Rider 2. They want to do a Verotica 2. They. They want to do a Verotica 2. <laughs> Guys, we're getting Verotica 2 and Death Rider 2. Yeah, baby. So maybe we'll do that. There's another script I'm also working on, a martial arts movie. What happened? He's working on a martial arts movie. Could you imagine a cut? This is crazy. So Glenn says here in the interview, there's another script I'm working on, a martial arts movie. This is insane. Could you imagine a Glenn Danzig martial arts film? It would just be, that would be off the wall bananas. Like what would happen? You know, the, the, the Kung Fu, the style of Kung Fu is like, ripping you know ripping body parts off of people i don't know i don't know how that would work i mean glenn did do jeet kune do for a time maybe he's drawing inspiration from there i would imagine that there's some sort of horror aspect in the martial arts uh film so we'll see we'll see what happens we'll see what comes out that would be uh that would be uh quite 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 interesting quite interesting indeed um <clears throat> Rolling Stone asks, where do your ideas come from for these things? And Glenn says, just out of my head. <laughs> um, Rolling Stone asks, how did you get into making comic books? Um, Glenn says, I would meet a lot of Danzig fans after the show, talk to them on the bus, sign stuff for them and everything. A lot of them, uh, blah, blah, blah. sign stuff for them and everything. And a lot of them were comic fans. Back then, the indie comic scene was just like low budget black and white comics. I'm a fan of comics from all over the world, Japanese comics, Italian comics, which are crazy, by the way. So I just said, you know what? I'm going to start doing a comic book company and get the best people. And it's all going to be on color, on really good stock, kind of like DC and Marvel. And when we first came out, we did them one better because Image were the only people at the time doing quality paper, quality stock and computer color. So we followed their lead and... So we did it all before Marvel and DC. And I believe Rue Morg has said that he's been a hardcore Verotic, Verotica collector since the beginning. Uh, can you uh, testify to that, Rue, that the quality of the books are just just wonderful? Something like that. Just really great. Um, Rolling Stone says, you recently announced two upcoming Danzig concerts. Do you plan on rescheduling the Danzig Sings Elvis dates you had booked last year? And man, I would love to see that. I really, truly would love to see that because I really love Danzig Sings Elvis. And I don't know what he's going to say about music here, but all I can say, all I can truly say is if Danzig Sings Elvis is the very last album that Danzig the band ever puts out, and we don't get another Misfits album or whatever, I'm like, okay with that. I think it's friggin' great. I think it's going out on a high note. 
And, uh, you know, I'm going to do a music reaction for Danzig Sings Elvis because I really, really, I have a lot of admiration for what he did on a lot of different levels. Um, so Glenn says, yeah, we're talking about doing that in reference to Danzig Sings Elvis. So we'll see. I don't know about in L.A. because it's 25% capacity. So we'll probably do someplace that's a little more sane and go from there. Um, and here's the big question, folks. Is the Misfits reunion done? And Glenn, like always, gives that stock answer of, I don't know. I mean, right now, something like a Misfits show would have to be in a bigger place. And I don't know that those places are open yet. So we'll see. I mean, the door is open. If we do it, I would like to play some places we haven't played yet. Texas or Florida or places like that. We haven't done any shows in those states. And those states are fully open. And I think, you know, I think those guys go where the money goes. And so far, they must have not gotten any offers, you know, like $3 million offers from any of those states. The only places they've gotten those kind of offers are California, New York, Chicago, and Denver, and Seattle. And I think, where else did they go with the show? I don't know. They, they went um, Vegas. They did a Vegas date. So, you know, and Mexico. So it's like, they're go they go where the money goes. So th that's kind of, I feel like that's kind of a... I feel like that's kind of not very truthful. What you really mean to say is we're going where the guarantees are, but we would like the guarantees to be in places that we haven't played yet. But so far, that's why they did Chicago twice. They did Chicago Riot Fest. They went back to Chicago. You know what I'm saying? Um, Rolling Stone asks, have you been working on any new music in the last year? Glenn says, you know, when people under that Rolling Stone says, have you been working on any new music in the last year? And Glenn says, you know, with people thinking they can download your record for free and all of that stuff, it gets to the point where you're just like, why am I going to do a new record? People are just going to steal it. It's going to cost me money to make it. Am I going to make any money back? I love doing music, but if I spend a ton of money doing a record and it just gets downloaded for free and people steal it, what's the point? So, I mean, Glenn, at the end of the day, you just have to ask yourself this very important question. Do you make music to make money or do you make music because you have to make music and if you make money then you make money you you are you have you are a very successful you know musician you've made a lot of money and continue to make a lot of money uh with your music with your art what is it about are you still inspired do you just make albums are you just writing songs to make albums to sell to fans because if the answer is, yes, I'm only doing it for the money, then you should stop. Danzig Sings Elvis is great. I, I love it. You're done. You're great. You're done. Put out an Evil Live 3 or do a new Misfits record and literally call it a day. Focus solely on making horror films. I'll go see every horror film you make. But I think that's a bullshit excuse as to why you're making music. If, you, if you're making music because you love to make music, then it doesn't matter whether you're making money or not, especially if you're well off because Glenn is well off. You know, he's, he's, you know, he's a multimillionaire. You know what I'm saying? So on, on some, and again, that's not to say that like one should not be business savvy, but you have to think that Danzig, who's probably, I'm pretty sure that Black Lady Crown and Death Red and Skeletons and, Danzig Sings Elvis, these records were all made kind of piecemeal. He didn't go into the album for, you know, three months straight and make a record like he used to do. He just sort of recorded when he felt like it and then put it out as a record, you know? And it's like, if you're not, 
if if you're not into it anymore, then don't do it anymore. No one's gonna listen. You have an he has an incredible body of work. He can stop if he wants to. You know, I do. I want him to stop. No. Do any of you want to want him to stop? No. Of course not. But at the end of the day, it's like you know, it's the same thing with Doyle too. Like you know, it's just like although Doyle's in a slightly different position than Danzig is. But I just kind of feel like. I just kind of feel like whatever, you know, like, 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 so if you don't want to, if you don't want to make music, don't make music, but don't, don't make it about the money, you know, like what kind of, what kind of bullshit answer is that? It kind of bums me out that he says that if I'm being honest, um, Rolling Stone says that sounds like a no. And Glenn says probably a no. I mean, we'll see. And here's the other thing too. I think Glenn, Glenn is a workaholic. He's a self-proclaimed, always in just in projects and doing things. And you want to know something? At some point he will, I, I think the the real answer here is it's not so much, you know, uh, is De- is Glenn going to do more music? It's just that he doesn't, probably doesn't feel inspired. Maybe the, maybe the, the money thing, again, just speculating here, maybe the money thing is just a bullshit cop-out you know, answer that he gives because he doesn't feel very inspired. And because I guarantee you, I think the moment that he has something to say, and there are some people who stop some, like, you know, some people just decide one day, Henry Rollins, no matter what you think about him as a musician, one day, Henry Rollins woke up and said, you know what? I'm done. I don't need to be a musician anymore. I've done my thing. I'm going to transfer myself into these other aspects you know, I'm going to become a spoken word guy. I'm going to be a author. I'm going to, or I'm going to continue to be an author. I'm going to continue being an actor. And that's what I'm going to do. I'm done. I'm putting the microphone down, you know. Um, but I think Glenn is a guy type. I mean, he's been doing this his whole life. Like, you know, at some point he's going to get the itch or something's going to inspire him or he's going to be ready to do more music. And when he is, he's probably just super busy right now. And when he is, he'll do it, you know. Um, so I don't, I, I wouldn't count him out. He says probably a no, but how many times is it, how many times about how many things has he said probably a no? It's just something that he says. It's just the way that he is in interviews. Probably a no. I mean, maybe we'll see. Maybe I'll just go in and do a song or two and give it away for free or something. I don't know. See, that's cool. It doesn't cost too much, but for the most part, I think all these people just decide that, you know, fuck the bands. I'm just going to get this for free. And he's not wrong. Like, fuck those people. You know, like, like you should pay for your music. Well, your bands are probably not going to put out new music. Um, he's talked about the people that are saying, fuck the bands, I'll steal this for free. And he's also talking about a mentality or he's talking about something that's really 20 years old. You know, like, yes, like da- downloading is a part of the norm, but we've kind of evolved as a society. It's not so much about downloading. People stream. People stream. People have gone from downloading to having subscriptions. People don't mind. You know, I think maybe even a part of it is, yes, of course, they want it for free. But it's also just about it's a matter of convenience. And I think, you know, like, look at what Spotify has done, I think, to downloading. You know, whether you like Spotify or hate Spotify, you literally have artists' entire catalogs legally, even if the fees are not more they should be more for the artists you have them at your fingertips now you know it doesn't leave a lot of inclination for someone to download from a torrent anymore you know what i mean and the artist is still technically getting paid even if it's a bullshit deal but glenn is in a situation where you know 
first of all, he owns the Sam Hain stuff, right? Like he's in a situation where he really could just write, press, and put out his own music. If he just were to hire, I, I think it's time, Glenn, for Plan 9 Records 2.0. You know, hire the infrastructure, make it an extension of Verotica or Verotic. Make Verotic Records. You know what I'm saying? Uh, get uh, what's what's their name um, to distribute uh, the friggin uh, Cleopatra who he's making movies with get Cleopatra to friggin distribute and put music out on your own label and just do do the plan nine thing now now is the perfect time when your audience is so pinpoint focused on what you're doing just go and do it do the thing again Except you don't have 5,000 people on your list. You have like 50,000 people if you want. You know, I don't know, man. I don't know. Um, I like that he did say he would give away the music for free. Because in the previous comment, he's like, he made it sound like he was only going to do, he's, it was all about the money, which kind of annoyed me. Um, Rolling Stone says, well, now you have a new career making movies. And Glenn says, I think people are going to dig Death Rider. I think I'm going to dig Death Rider. It looks very, you know, cheesy, but I think it's going to be a, a lot of fun. Whether it means to be fun or it doesn't mean to be fun, I think we're going to have a lot of fun with it, you know. Uh, he says, I think people need their escape now. So that's why one of the things that we're doing with this theater run is so that people can get out and just forget how fucked up the last year was. Ha <laughs> ha. And I'll tell you something. I will, man, I got both of my shots. I will be there. I will be there for that. So there we go. That's that's our interview, right? And we did it relatively quickly. It's, it's an hour, an hour and 17. Let's go to some of these comments here and see what people are saying. Dr. Erlov says, it's interesting as Jeff has pointed out how Last Caress was barely known before 1987, it seems. Right. That's true. Well, it wasn't barely known, but I mean, it's just the accessibility of, of Last Caress pre, you know, Collection 2 is kind of insane. I mean, you literally had to get it on bootlegs or beware, you know. Raphael says, some Sam Hang songs are simply about fucking or killing, as Glenn says. I hardly believe that these songs are politics related in some way. But what kind of politics there's the politics of living and the politics of dying, baby. And you know what? That's political. <laughs> Glenn ain't deep with lyrics. It's just silly fantasy horror. I couldn't disagree with you more. And we've talked so much about this. Go go to the lyrics episode, man. Like he is writing maybe maybe not in later stuff. I don't know. He's he's writing about some stuff. Dr. Erlo says, when I met Glenn, he talked to me about his Jeet Kune Do training. Ha. Huh. Um, karate, yes, karate vampires getting drunk in blood. I love it. I love it. Stop reading so much into it. That's all we do, though. That's what we do here. That's what it's all about. That's what it's all about, you know? Uh, Beastie says, I've never considered the band to be political, but there was definitely some social commentary, especially on Static Hitch. Yeah, I mean, social commentary is political in a way. In a way. It's not, like, exact, you know, to... Two ends or get the F out of here? Oh, Glenn's. Yeah. What? Glenn? Yeah, he's talking about Glenn. That's what he's talking about. Rue says, politics are like the oceans. It's part of your being, will, or blind a fish. Wait, what? 
Politics are like the oceans. It's part of your being. Willing or blind a fish must swim. Oh, okay. Willing or blind a fish must swim no matter the tides. Eat or be eaten, win or lose. It's you. Yeah, I'm in rare form today, half drunk. Ha ha ha. Oh, Rue. Um, Emily says those Misfits reunion shows are what's funding these movies and comics. I believe so. I've heard that he is that he puts money into Verotic, Verotic, and that he has got investors for the films. But who knows? I I don't know. I don't know about that. Yes, Rue says he has all the Verotic comic books. I own, like, literally every vinyl Glenn ever did, but I have zero comics. Wow, that is some collection. Joyzy, doesn't he get that sweet Spotify revenue? I mean, I've said this before. I've said this before about Spotify revenue. I'm telling you, man, if you're getting hundreds of millions of streams, you're getting a nice chunk of, of change. If you own... The sinking, the, what is it, like the sinking rights? Is the sinking masters? If you own the publishing, if you own the masters, if you own like the song recordings themselves, like all that stuff, if you own that stuff, you're going to be, if you don't, if you're not beholden to record record contracts or record labels, you are definitely getting a chunk of change from Spotify, you know, and it's that, that's the end of the day, even with the shitty rates that they're paying, you know? Um... <laughs> do it for the kids that's right ballad says i like danzig sings elvis too but he's caught up in an old head mentality it's as if he does not grasp streaming inevitability of techno technological growth so far removed that it, that is so spot on that's exactly the problem dude is out of touch doesn't get it doesn't understand and that's we're seeing the reality that's why we don't have the sam hain catalog right now because he's like oh I don't want anybody streaming that stuff. No one's streaming my catalog of Sam Ain. Not going to allow it. Wow, my phone auto-corrected to me saying dancing. Wow. Wow, 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 wow. <coughs> Excuse me. Excuse me. Uh-oh. It's like a mind. Yeah, yeah. He's not troll. He's he's not trolling you. He He's just... He's just um, a, a Jay-Z. Well, that's not true. Tennessee Joe is from Tennessee, and he's just breaking balls. That's all. He's just breaking balls. Um, Ballad says, re-release the singles and EPs in a box set. Re-release. Yeah, we've set with. Yeah, I mean, Jesus. Like, And everybody around him is telling him to do this. You know, I don't know. Um. Didn't Robbie says, did you go over this, Jeff, when they mentioned last caress? Yes, I did. I did. Didn't a former bandmate say that Glenn wanted something super catchy and super sensitive to. No, I don't. I don't remember that part, but there's a whole episode where we talked about deciphering last caress. And there's it's like, uh, yeah, it's a whole thing. It does a whole thing. So that's the show today. The show today. We had fun on the show today.
Come on, guys. Peace and love. Peace and love. Do uh, Dr. Airlift says, would it be Caroline or Danzig that would make the call to re-release the catalog? Not sure who owns the Sam Hain catalog. I think Glenn is in control of the Sam Hain catalog. I don't think Glenn is in control of the Misfits catalog. And I mean, really, all you have to do, like when you like, for instance, on Instagram, you know how you could do like the little 30 second clip of the song. Go check and see what songs are available for that. And you can see what Glenn is in control of, because I think anything that Glenn's in control of, he doesn't want on those platforms. I think who actually knows. No one knows but the shadow. Uh, so. Just a couple of things coming up. Again, if you're just joining us or if you really enjoyed this episode, please consider supporting the channel on the newly formed Patreon. That's two bucks a month. What's two bucks a month? It's less than a cup of coffee. There's other ways you could just buy a cup of coffee on Ko-Fi if you want. Um, go follow us on Spotify. This is about to get archived and released on Spotify and all your, your outlets out there. Um, make sure you're subscribed. Leave a comment like the goddamn thing, some stuff to watch out for coming up. We are going to be having the Screaming Jay Hawkins video. Uh, as soon as I get done, I got two freelance projects that I'm working on back to back. The crazy, crazy gauntlet. When it rains, it pours. And I'm grateful for that because boy, oh boy, oh boy, could I use the work. Um, so, so they're really putting me through my paces with these projects. So, so those, so while I'm toiling away at those, the, the, the Screaming Jay Hawkins videos is waiting to be released. I'm going to do the final descent music reaction. People like the music reactions. I did some, some polls. I wanted to determine, you know, do people like long versions of the show? Do you like 20 minute versions of the show? Like what, what can we do to, I, I just want to get some opinions. I'm not saying I'm going to change things. I just want to know what uh, I just wanted to get some feedback because, you know, I really like the idea of just going for an hour. I think maybe I'll put it on a timer and then just go for an hour and then that's it. But, you know, at the same time, you know, we, we do this live and we have we have comments and, you know, blah, 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 you know, people talking. There's fights going on right now in the in the comments. I don't know why. Just you guys just need to relax. Everybody needs to relax. You know, listen, I don't smoke weed, but I'm advising everybody to go smoke some weed. And just relax. I, I except if you're sober. If you're sober, you don't have to smoke weed. I do not do that. Um, what else can I tell you? Uh, oh my God, I am knee deep in the Joey Image interview, and I man, there was something I totally forgot about that Joey had told me about um, that involved. Wow, it was there. There was a legal thing with Joey that I, I. It won't make the documentary, but it did blow my mind because. I had, I, you know, it's funny. I had like instant total recall. As soon as I watched the, the, the clip, I suddenly remembered Joey telling me this whole story. And then I flashed back on something that someone else told me. And suddenly I put two and two together and I realized recontextualized. Let's just say Joey and his drug habit were recontextualized for me when he was in the band, The Misfits. Okay. Um, guys. There's no reason to fight. We're all friends here, okay? We come on here. We're like little shellfish eating the morsels that Glenn leaves us. <laughs> At the bottom of the bay. <laughs> um, what else can I tell you? I'm trying to think because I just want to get to 90 minutes and, and peace out of here. Uh, I'm trying to think if there's anything else to say. 
So we're going to do the reaction video. We're going to do that other video. I want to talk about uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier for anybody who is in Marvel into Marvel. We're going to talk about that on the show soon. Like I said, I want to move this. I, I don't want it to just be a bunch of shows on the From Us channel. It's just it should just be From Us and then whatever is being talked about. So today we're talking about Misfits because we do the Misfits Evil live streaming show. So we still do it, but it's just going to be under... You know, it's just from us. From us is the channel. I don't know. I don't know if that makes any any sense. Jeff's addiction says three one hour shows per week or something like that would be better than a three to four. Oh my god, Jeff, do you really think that I have the the bandwidth or capacity to do three one hour videos? I mean, that's crazy. Like, you do realize that like a three hour show, half of what's in a three hour show is just people you know, talking in the comments and, and just kind of like banter and bullshit, you know, like it, it, that would be an that's that's a tall order. That's a tall order. And to do it for unpaid, I, that's not that that sounds like a paid man job. You know what I'm saying? I already I already put in a lot of time on this channel. You better believe it. Um, we're going to do a celebration when I reach my 1000th upload. Currently, I have uploaded. 655 times when I reach 1,000, we're going to have a party. And it's going to be great. It's going to be a really, really great party. Warfrat asks, do you ever see Glenn Danzig interview happening? Oh, do you ever see a Glenn Danzig interview happening with you in the future? Man, that would make my freaking day. You know, I've met Glenn. I've been in a room with Glenn, just me and Glenn. No one else there. In his dressing room, I've been with him in his dressing room alone for five minutes. It was crazy. It was awesome, you know, um, but yeah, probably not. Um, Jarvis says to check out 30 coins. I'll tell you something. I watched 30 coins for 30 seconds and I turned it off, man. Not my cup of tea. Thank you. I'm glad you enjoyed the show. And again, guys, peace and love, peace and love. Both of you, you and you, the two of you. Because you keep in come on, just stop, just stop, everybody stop. I want everybody to stop. We're all friends here. Uh, Jeff says, "I just mean a three to three to four show is a lot to wade through, but I love what you do." You know, Jeff, I appre I appreciate that feedback. I do. You know what I? But that's why I do the clips. I the clips are me taking subjects that like little subjects like that whole from dusk till dawn thing. That'll probably be its own clip. That's what I do. So it's like. For those who like the really, I think I just answered my own question. I don't need to make the shows. I have a good system. Joe, you're right. I have a good system. I just talk, talk, talk. And then I find the little clips. I pull them out. And the little clips are the little clips for the people that want the little clips. And that's it. That's it. You know? Um, <laughs> I should do a show. The time I met Glenn Danzig. There's no details, man. You know what it was? I'm not even joking. Uh, it was, it was in New York city. Uh, Steve Zing introduced me to Glenn Danzig. He brought me up to his, he brought me to the room and he just said, this is my friend, Jeff, which, which to me was like, really made me like, gosh, like it was just a very nice thing to do. And I shook Glenn's hand and he had a very, it was a very, uh, I don't know, cold fish handshake. Let's put it that way. And I literally made small talk. I had nothing. I didn't even take a picture with him. I didn't want to. I didn't have to. I'd already taken a picture with him previously. I We just made very little small talk. I was very nervous. I didn't know what to say. And I left. I didn't want to bug him. I honestly didn't want to bug him. So I just said, oh, th thanks, Glenn. Thanks for a great show. It was Danzig Legacy. I talked to him about the Danzig Legacy shows. And, and that was it, you know. 
And um, yeah. Uh, all right, guys. We've we've passed the 90 minute mark. So I'm gonna peace out of here. Thank you so much. Please like, share, subscribe, subscribe, subscribe to the show. Uh, thank you so much again for joining us on the Streaming Evil Live show. My name is Jeff, and we have a very nice way of saying goodbye here. How do we do it? We say peace and air grease. Make it for Florida. Make it for Florida. Make it for Florida.